the purpose, the why we are saved is for good works, to do those things we were created for. We have a purpose. We were not made to do whatever we want. There is a creator and that is God. And God did not create us to be ornaments or for decoration. We were wonderfully and fearfully made, but to serve him. That's the bottom line. Hello and welcome to another message from the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and his truth with the world. Today we'll be talking about consecrating our lives unto the Lord. True faith in Christ is much more than what many out there say it is and what many people are willing to believe. Some people that call themselves believers think that they will get to heaven by just saying that they believe in God. But the Holy Scriptures tells us that there is much more that is needed so that a person can find salvation. But the good news is that it is all possible through the Lord Jesus Christ, but a person must be willing to not just believe, but to also do the things that God the Father requires. Today's message is inspired on Ezekiel chapter 43, verses 18 to 27. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Holy Lord, hallowed and glorified and exalted be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Lord God, Heavenly Father, blessed are you forever and ever for your goodness and your mercy and your grace on us. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, O Lord, that you may please always remember us in your mercy and in your grace. Heavenly Father, please forgive our sins. Please forgive my sins, Lord God. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you please guide us, strengthen us, O Lord. Help us to understand, Lord God, your word for what it is and what it says. And help us above all things to be able to do those things that please you. Blessed are you, O Lord, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today's key passage reading is in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 43, verses 18 to 27. This is the word of the Lord. And he said to me, Son of man, Thus says the Lord God, These are the ordinances for the altar on the day when it is made, for sacrificing burnt offerings on it and for sprinkling blood on it. You shall give a young bull for a sin offering to the priests, the Levites, who are of the seed of Zadok, who approach me to minister to me, says the Lord God. You shall take some of its blood and put it on the four horns of the altar, on the four corners of the ledge, and on the rim around it. Thus you shall cleanse it and make atonement for it. Then you shall also take the bull of the sin offering and burn it in the appointed place of the temple, outside the sanctuary. On the second day, you shall offer a kid of the goats without blemish for a sin offering, and they shall cleanse the altar as they cleansed it with the bull. When you have finished cleansing it, you shall offer a young bull without blemish and a ram from the flock without blemish. When you offer them before the Lord, the priest shall throw salt on them, and they will offer them up as a burnt offering to the Lord. Every day for seven days you shall prepare a goat for a sin offering. They shall also prepare a young bull and a ram from the flock without blemish. Seven days they shall make atonement for the altar and purify it, and so consecrate it. When these days are over, it shall be on the eighth day and thereafter that the priest shall offer your burnt offerings and your peace offerings on the altar, and I will accept you says the Lord God. 
What we just read had to do with the consecration of the altar so that the children of Israel could have a place where they could atone for their sins and so they could offer to the Lord. This is what used to be under the law. One of the things that we need to understand is that the offerings from before did not take away or wash away sin. There was only atonement. The word used here was kofar, which means to cover. The blood of innocent animals could only cover or hide the people's sins before the eyes of God, never wash away or take away sin. Now, why did innocent animals have to be killed? The word teaches us that there was and is life in the blood. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your sins. For it is a blood that makes atonement for the soul. And so the blood of these innocent victims was sacred, given to the people so they could cover their sins. The innocent paid for the guilty. In a way, it almost seems unfair. Why did the innocent have to pay for the guilty? Why did their blood have to be shed for the offenses of another? This was something that was not supposed to be taken lightly. One of the things that people had to do so they could understand what was being done for them was to put their hand on the victim's head when it would be killed for them. Right before the victim would be killed, the person that was seeking atonement for their sins needed to put their hand on the victim's head so they could feel the pain that the animal felt, so they could accept responsibility before the Lord. When you think about it, it was probably a moment of relief, but also of sadness. At least that should have been the way their heart should have felt. And of course, seeing the price that was paid for their offense should have caused them some remorse so they wouldn't repeat the offenses. A person should not be oblivious to what was happening, but quite the contrary. Things are quite different now after Christ died for our sins. The animal sacrifices of old were done away with. Israel tried to continue doing them after the death of our Lord, but God used the Romans to stop sacrifices. As a result of prophecy in 70 AD, Rome did invade Jerusalem and destroy the temple and did not leave stone upon stone, just as the Lord said it would be. And the temple and the altar were done away with. And the altar is nowhere to be found until this day. So what did Christ do for us? He became the innocent, sinless victim that would shed his precious and holy blood, not just to atone for our sins, but to wash them away forever. But certain things still remain in effect. Certain concepts should still take place. For instance, the sacrifice of the Holy Lamb of God should not be taken lightly or for granted. We can't physically put our hands on the victim like it was done before, where we could feel what was going on. But we should understand the simple fact that God, through the person of Jesus Christ, through his flesh, gave his life and shed his blood on the cross so that the guilty, each one of us, could be able to have complete forgiveness if we take responsibility for what was done, if we accept that Christ died for us. And we should imagine and visualize that awful moment that Christ went through for us and feel it deep within our hearts what was done for us. We cannot be oblivious to everything that happened. We cannot take it lightly. We can't just say, oh, well, that's that, and this is what needed to happen, and go on with our merry lives without attempting to fully understand the pain, the heartache, the awfulness of the price that was paid so that you and I could have forgiveness of sins and access to the kingdom of God.
This is why we were commanded to have communion as a solemn moment, something that should be done regularly, so we can commemorate what was done on the cross, so we can somehow physically remember that Christ's flesh was broken for us and that his blood was shed for us. And the eating of the elements means that not only are we acknowledging and accepting what was done for us, but also becoming one with Christ by taking these symbols into our bodies as a sign that we fully accept responsibility and that we take so much to heart what was done that we are willing to become one with him by turning away from our sins and following him forever, that he become a part of every fiber of our being. That is what should happen. That is what we have now through Christ. And so, jumping from then to now, what is required for the Lord? Or rather, what should we do now to become acceptable before God? Because that is something that was and still is very much in effect, that we must be found acceptable before God. That has not changed. We must always remember that God is not the one with the sin problem or the one that needs access to heaven. We are the ones that need to be acceptable to him so we can have our sins forgiven and so that we can have access into his kingdom so that we can have eternal life. This is what we just read. When these days are over, it shall be on the eighth day thereafter that the priests shall offer your burnt offerings and your peace offerings on the altar. And I will accept you, says the Lord God. So this process of consecrating the altar and going through the exact steps that were prescribed was the vehicle so that God could accept the people back then. Now we also read in the New Testament, in the new covenant through Jesus Christ, that we must also be found acceptable or pleasing to God. That's why this whole notion that we are all God's children is completely false. Just because we are born into this world does not automatically make us children of God. If that were the case, then it would be a complete violation of our free will. The Bible is very clear in that we have the choice, the opportunity to become children of God if we believe and accept Jesus Christ. For it is written, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Notice that the word says, but as many as received him, speaking of Christ. And so it is not just about believing. It is more than that. When we receive Christ, we are becoming one with him. That's how a person becomes a child of God. It's a completely voluntary decision to accept Jesus as the Lord of our lives and becoming one with him by taking him into our life, into our heart and surrendering all that we are to him and letting him spread throughout our whole being, just like the word says, that we are to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, our mind, and our strength. And the word tells us that through the process of faith, because it is all based on faith, we need to be found pleasing to God, that our lives must be found acceptable to him. So coming to Christ is far away from getting a license to sin. And it very much matters to God what we do after coming to that personal and intimate relationship with him through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, where it says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 
And the Lord also said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And so things are very different to what most people think they are. We can only be pleasing to the Lord if we do the Father's will. Therefore, it is imperative, it is essential, it is necessary to do the Father's will. What does that involve? Everything that we have read involves action because the scriptures very clearly use the word do, as in that each one may receive the things done in the body or but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So what are we talking about? We're talking about works, more specifically, good works. That is what is related to actions. We will either be found acceptable before God through the good works or be condemned by God for all eternity for bad works. And here we start with something that has always been since the beginning. We start with faith. Faith is the action of believing in something or someone you cannot see with your physical eyes. Faith is not a concept or idea. It's much more than that. For instance, the father of faith is Abraham. Abraham is where our faith originated from. God spoke to Abraham and he made a promise to Abraham and Abraham believed. His initial work was that he believed God. And because he believed God, it set in motion a series of other actions that were based on that action, on faith. Abraham changed his whole life around, even leaving everything he knew behind because he believed in the Lord and what the Lord had promised him. In Genesis chapter 15, it says this, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid. Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he, God, accounted it to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God. Abraham didn't know how things were going to go for him. He didn't see anything at the moment. He just had this conversation with God, and he believed God. And the word again says that God accounted it to him for righteousness. This action of faith, of believing God, started a whole chain of events for Abraham that completely changed his life. And the Bible tells us that Abraham had such faith in God that he really wasn't after the physical things in this world, but after the invisible things of God. That is what Abraham was really after. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him of the same promise. 
For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So you see, Abraham was not really focused on the here and now. His concern over offspring was related to the vision of the future that he had because his focus was being with God in eternity. This is why Abraham is the father of faith. This is the same faith we should pursue by seeking after, just as Abraham did, the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The culmination of this faith we need to have so we can be found acceptable before God also has its beginning before Christ coming to this earth. The foundation of the law, something that was and is even more important than the Ten Commandments, was this. Notice what it says. Now, this is the commandment, singular, talking about one commandment. And these are the statutes and judgments which your Lord God has commanded to teach you, starting with the Ten Commandments, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it. Here it is, says again, it, singular, one commandment, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. And here it is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So what is the main thing that the action of our faith should be founded on? Loving the Lord with everything we are. We must come to the point of believing and receiving the Lord until we come to love Him with everything we are and that we do whatever He tells us to do. This is all voluntary, free will, action. The Holy Spirit has tried and continues to try to convince every single person that has existed and exists to do this. But it is ultimately our decision, our choice to act and make the decision to believe and accept. Free will, the freedom to act, ultimately allows for judgment and makes us accountable before the Lord. There is nothing that can interfere with our ability to choose or reject the Lord. If a person chooses for the Lord, it's because they want to. And if a person chooses to reject the Lord, it's only because they want to. Our sin clouds judgment. Our sin hinders us from doing those things that are right before God. But sin can never force you to reject God because our free will is always free. That's why, again, there will be a judgment. We need to understand that there is a way to salvation. And the only way to salvation is that our lives need to become altars for the Lord. That's the only way we can become acceptable to the Lord. That is the parallel that we draw from today's passage. It is not just about believing in God. It is certainly not about looking to use God to get what you want. It is not even about becoming a moral or religious person. 
It is all about much more than these things. It's about something much deeper with a complete and unreserved commitment. This is ultimately the way to salvation. According to the Word of God, it all starts with repentance and conversion by acknowledging all of our sin and choosing to repent, to turn away from it because we have come to believe in who the Lord is and in what He has done for us. And after that initial decision, that initial action, then there is a continued and ongoing transformation through the Holy Spirit that we can become more like God and less sinful. The Bible refers to this as the way of sanctification. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it puts it like this. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, why is this important? Why do we need to continue changing and becoming more like God? Because we need to produce good works. We need to do the Father's will. And the only way to do the Father's will is to become more like Him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But for what? What's the purpose? This is what it continues saying. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Most people miss this verse, or skip over, or just plain avoid it. A lot of people love the fact that we're saved by grace and that works do not save us. And yes, we can never be good enough on our own. Nothing can substitute Christ and his sacrifice. There is no other way to God. There is only one way, and that is grace through the person of Jesus Christ. But the reason, the purpose, the why we are saved is for good works, to do those things we were created for. We have a purpose. We were not made to do whatever we want. There is a creator, and that is God. And God did not create us to be ornaments or for decoration. We were wonderfully and fearfully made, but to serve Him. That's the bottom line. And it is not just a here and now thing, but for all eternity. He made us as beings with the potential to live forever, but we can only come to live forever if we fulfill the purpose for what we were created and made for. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we can come back to what we were made for. God through the Lord has built a path, a way, so that we can come back to our original course and go away from the destination leading to death and hell and eternal separation from God to eternal life, eternal reward, and eternal purpose. Everything in the Word of God points to that. That is what Abraham believed, and that is what every single person that desires to be a part of God's kingdom must come to believe also. Abraham came to that point of nearly sacrificing every hope he had when God tested him by asking him to sacrifice the son of the promise, Isaac. And Abraham was willing to do it because the Lord God was more important than anything to him because he loved the Lord above all things, even more than his son that meant so much to him. Abraham's life, even before the law was written, was an altar before the Lord, prepared for the Lord's service, given to sacrifice good works to God because he believed in God. That is why God called him his friend. Abraham was a friend to God. 
We can become God's friend if we do as he commands because we have learned to love him above all things. Jesus put it like this, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. When we do the Father's will through Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ, we become his friends. That's what happens when we become genuine altars for God through Jesus Christ. That is what so many before understood, and that is what we must understand and do if we truly want immortality, if we want to live forever. We must consecrate our lives unto the Lord so that we can be with him for all eternity. The way to salvation is free. We cannot buy salvation. But there are things that we must do. There are decisions to be made. There are good works that need to be accomplished. We need to go away from superficial faith. Now more than ever, we cannot allow for sin and vanity to run our lives. We do not have the luxury of following the wrong path, of going about life like if it were our opinion that had some sort of control over reality. I can't stress this enough. The truth that the Word of God explains to us goes above and beyond a simple belief in God, where a person just says, I believe in God, and does however they please. The unfortunate part of our fallen condition is that we tend to allow ourselves to be overcome by our own sin, by our own evil desires. But as we explained before, we do have the God-given ability of free will. Each person can choose for God, to follow God, to repent and convert from all sins, to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord of their lives, and to invite the Holy Spirit of God into the center of their beings. There is where true power comes into us so that we can effectively change and become transformed into what God has always desired for us to be. Each person in this world was allowed to exist for a purpose, for a reason that is greater than what the world tells us we should do. The here and now is just that. There is no eternity in the here and now. Nothing in this world can give us eternity. And moreover, nothing in this world can fill the void that each of us are born with. Every single person will remain with that void in them until they decide, until they choose out of their own free will to allow God to fill that void. Money, power, fame, physical relationships, you name it, are all passing, superficial and meaningless when compared to the coming world, to the eternity that is upon us. Jesus Christ showed us a better way, and he made that way possible for us by paying the ultimate price. And like the word says in Deuteronomy chapter six, for this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today 
to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments. So the concept is very simple. So simple that a child can understand it. You don't need a college degree to understand what is being said and especially to do what you're being told to do. If you want salvation, it is necessary to become an altar for God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it easy? No, because you're going against the current of this world, because you will be challenging death and hell and Satan directly. But your soul is worth facing the challenge. What God has for us is incredibly more valuable than anything else. The prize is far greater than anything we could ever imagine and incomparable to whatever the world can give you. With the Lord, you have everything to gain and nothing of true value to lose. For your own good, consecrate your life to the Lord today and look to do the Father's will and your life so that you can enter his kingdom and live forever. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, help us to understand, Lord God, that we cannot do things according to what we think, to go by our opinions. And least of all, that we should be just set on making our will happen. Help us to understand, Lord God, that your will needs to be done that your kingdom needs to come and that we need you and that there is nothing that we can get on our own. We need you. We need your son, Jesus Christ. We need his precious blood in our lives. We need your forgiveness. We need your guidance. We need you, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, help us to understand what we need to become so that we could be found pleasing before you through Jesus Christ. Help us to understand, the oh Lord, that we have everything that we need, Lord God. We have your son. We have his sacrifice. We have the way that he is open. We have your Holy Spirit. We have your word. Heavenly Father, there is no excuse left for us not to be able to do what we need to do. But help us to understand that there needs to be something. There needs to be action in our lives. There needs to be good works, starting with repentance and conversion from all of our sins, Lord God. Help us to turn away, Lord God, from our deadly ways and to turn to you with all of our hearts and to seek to do those things that truly please you. Help us, O oh God, that we may have Jesus as the true Lord of our lives. I give you thanks and I praise you, O Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please join us again next time as we look into God's Word together. And if you have any questions or just need some prayer, please email us through our website. If you want to listen to other messages, you can go to our website or look for our podcast in the Apple iTunes store under The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.